turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. God had faithfully led this new generation of the children of Israel to the border of the Promised Land. Joshua was now leading the people to go in and conquer all that God had promised. He was to be strong and courageous in leading the people. Their first obstacle was the walled city of Jericho. Last we saw that Joshua sent spies in to give a report of the city. There, the spies were assisted by Rahab, a woman that trusted in Jehovah God for her and her family's salvation. The spies came back with a good report of God's faithfulness being sure God could do exactly what he promised. The people then consecrated themselves and were told to cross the Jordan River by letting the Ark of the Covenant go before them. God was going to make a mighty move. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 3, verse 12. Verse 12. Now therefore, in other words, in light of the fact that God's about to do something miraculous, take you 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. We'll find out why these guys are selected later on. For now, there's just the anticipation that something monumental is about to happen, and these 12 guys are going to play a part in it in some way. And it is a monumental thing. Verse 13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. That is really cool. (laughs) This is really cool. It says, when they step into that water, the minute the soles of their foot step into the edge of the water there, it says that the Lord of all the earth, he'll rest in the waters of Jordan. He will make his stopping point there as well. And as a result, the waters of the Jordan will be cut off from the waters that come down from the north, and they shall stand upon a heap. Our God isn't just better because he's alive. He's also not limited to controlling the rain or the sun or the stars or birth or death or crops or money or anything else. He is the living God and he's the master of everything. Back then they had gods for rain and gods for the harvest and gods for sexuality and gods for this and gods for that. No, our God is the master of everything. He doesn't have a domain he's fighting over some of the God for. He is the master of everything because he's the Lord of all the earth. And when the Lord of all the earth rests in the waters, they obey. And so it says that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above. Literally, the Jordan will be cut into two parts. The water part will be cut into two parts. The part that where it's coming from, it says it will gather in a heap. It will make like a dam or a wall of water. And then the rest of it will just go on down. Just for it to go on down. God doesn't need a bridge. He doesn't need a dam. He'll make his own way because he's the master of everything. Let me ask you tonight, do you believe that God can do that with your obstacles? Alan Redpath, he called the Jordan River. He said, it represents human impossibility. 
And he talked about it from the idea of how God tells us, he says, I want you to come over here. I want you to leave that life in the desert behind, that self-life, the flesh life, doing things your own way and failing time and time in, going in circles your whole Christian life. He says, I want you to cross over the Jordan and go into the promised land with that abundant life that Christ promised you, the victorious Christian life that Christ won for you on the cross. But then you come to that point and you go, I can't do it. I've got this lust problem I can't get over. I've got this money spending problem I can't get over. I've got this eating problem I can't stop. I've got this attitude problem I have. I just, I get frustrated with people. Lord, there's no way. Literally, I'm gonna jump in the river, I'm gonna drown. I'm gonna have to climb back out on this side and just walk in circles for the rest of my life. And you know what happens? You walk up to that river and that's exactly what the enemy tells you. He says, you don't jump in there. You don't jump in there. Because you jump in there, you're gonna drown. Because you know you. I know you and you know you. I know you're going to fail. You know you're going to fail. So why even bother trying? Don't make a commitment you can't keep. And see what we fail to remember. We're not the ones going in the water first to hold them back. That river of impossibility that seems like it's trudging right in front of you and you can never cross it. The Lord says that he's the one that steps in for you. And he pushes it to the side in a heap so that you can walk over on dry land. Whatever that thing is in your life that has been an impossibility, you say, I'll never get past this. This is the way I'll always be. Stop believing that lie. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says, whom he has justified, him he also glorified, which means you get sanctified in the process. He will sanctify you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to tell you to jump in the water like my dad. But we had a pool in the backyard and we would go out there and my dad would be on the prowl because he was a jokester. And so he'd be like, why aren't you going to get near the pool? I'm like, because you're going to push me in. He's like, I'm not going to push you in. You always push us in, dad. No, I'm not going to push you in. And I have no clue what insanity made us actually believe him every time. But lo and behold, you get close and he'd chuck you in the water. God is not like my dad. God doesn't do that. He doesn't leave you alone in the water to flounder. He steps in first. That's what Paul said. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. Now I got an issue. Nevertheless, I live, right? I've been crucified with Christ. I belong to him. Nevertheless, I live. How do I do this? Still me. He says, and yet the life that I live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If God didn't hold his son back for us when we were his enemy, how much more will he give us richly all things now that we're his child? Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Step in. Follow the Lord. He'll make it clear dry ground for you. And he will get you over to the other side. He will sanctify you. He will change you. Because he's bigger than even your stubbornness. Verse 14 And it came to pass, here it goes. When the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water there, for Jordan overflows all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above, they stood and they rose up upon a heap like a dam very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zeratan. Now, the way that's worded, I read it wrong. Very far and then it's From, where was the very far? All the way up at the city of Adam that is beside Zaratan. That's a good 15 miles to the north that God did this. It's almost like the Lord didn't want them to see the wall and kind of be fearful. (laughs) Because I don't know about you. Like I hear people talking about, man, if I was walking through the Red Sea, I'd have been like poking the fishes, you know, whatever. Not me, man. I'd have been getting to the other side as quick as possible. I'd have been looking over and been like, I'm going to die in this thing if I don't get moving. I mean, that's just the reality of it. There'd have been a great awe of God, but the fearful reality of the power of God to hold all that back. 
I mean, that type of power drowned the entire Egyptian army. It's ominous. So the Lord, the waters stand up in a heat way north by the city of Adam, which is beside Zaratan. And then those that came down toward the Sea of the Plain, even the Salt Sea, so the waters that were heading toward the Dead Sea where they deposit, they just kept going that way to the point that it failed and they were cut off. So it was just dry land from there to the Dead Sea. And so the people passed over right opposite of Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. When it refers to the overflowing of the Jordan banks, it's about 10 to 12 feet deep at that time with a very strong current. It's very dangerous to swim, so much so that 1 Chronicles 12, 15 describes this as an amazing feat that was accomplished by soldiers. So these are fit men who were the elite troops of David at the time, and that they swam across it during this time of overflowing. And it was such a remarkable thing that they survived the trip and made it, that it made its way into Scripture that these guys did it. Well, Israel, they had more than soldiers going on this crossing. They had their kids, they had their elderly, they had everyone. So unlike the Red Sea, which was not flowing, you know, Red Sea was just still body of water. God had that, a wind blow, and it separated, and they walked in between. This wall of water occurred 15, 20 miles upstream, not right in front of them. The rest of the water, like I said, went its way into the Dead Sea, leaving the river basin completely dry for all of Israel to cross. And while they did, the priests moved to the middle of the river, and they took their stand. Now, of course, every Israelite needed to exercise faith in God's promise to cross that river because at any moment, those waters, from a natural perspective, could return. I mean, if they're thinking, what happened? It's like people say, oh, there were earthquakes in that time that dammed up the river. In fact, twice in history we know of an earthquakes occurred and dammed up the Jordan River so that it did go dry. And certainly God could have done that. But the reality was, either way, you had to, you had to have faith that God was the one holding it back. Because at any moment, the raging waters could return with a a fierce force. But the priests, they had to exercise even more faith to stand in the middle the entire time. But there they stood. God calls us in the New Testament a kingdom of priests. We're to be a people who completely trust God as an example for others to do the same. That's what these guys did here for the entire nation. And we need to do the same. We need to trust the Lord. Chapter 4. Now it came to pass... When all the people were clean passed over Jordan, when they were completely finished crossing over, the Lord spoke unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command you them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge for the night. They needed to take twelve stones that would normally be buried beneath all this water, in the muck and the mire on the bottom, bring them out of the Jordan River, and for now, they would set them or put them where the Israelites decided to camp for that night. Why were they to do this? Verse 4. Then Joshua called these 12 men whom he had prepared from the children of Israel, out of each tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean you by all these stones? That then you shall answer them, Well, it's that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. 
So the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded. They took up 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan as the Lord spoke unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, 12 stones. And they carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and they laid them down there. They don't know what to do with them yet, but they lay them down there. It's interesting. Joshua said, the reason you're going to do this, verse 6, is that this may be a sign. In other words, it's something new. This is a something new for the future. Now, a sign is a symbol that has meaning. A memorial is what Joshua calls it, a reminder of something important. So the idea here is they're not doing this for their benefit, and they don't need to do it for their benefit. They're living the miracle, right? Like, I mean, you could look over at your neighbor Bob and go, hey, Bob, how'd you sleep last night? I did all right, you know? Well, I'm worried about my one sheep or whatever. And you'd be like, how'd you sleep? Said, man, I just, I couldn't sleep, man. I was thinking about that. Remember when we crossed the Jordan? That was crazy, man. That was lit. <laughs> they were living that miracle. This was not for their benefit. This was for the benefit of future generations who would be confronted with new challenges. See, they would see these actual stones from the bottom of the river, an impossibility, even in non-flood seasons. You know, I mean, if you were to get in the river during a non-flood season to cross, that's one thing. You're not crossing with a big old stone in your arms, though. So when they would see those stones... They've been washed smooth, not like every other stone around them, but washed smooth by the river flow over time. When they would see those stacked together, it would remind them of what God did. And they would be able to look at their own obstacle, their own challenge, and know that God would be there for them, just like he was for their forefathers. And guys, that's why it's important for us to read our Bibles. Because sometimes we think, how am I going to get past this obstacle, Lord? And we see no way. But then the Bible, we read about these stories, and the Lord reminds us that he makes ways where there aren't ways, ways that we don't see. And that's also why we need the Lord's Supper. It's why we need to you know, participate in water baptisms and other special events. People say, well, hey, can you just come do the baptism in my bathtub? And I say, no. So we're going to do it in front of all the church. We're going to go out to the beach. You know what? We're going to do it in front of people because other people need to participate in this. We need reminders because we easily forget. We easily forget. What's really cool here is while all this is going on, this is why one of the reasons I believe Joshua wrote the book of Joshua, he slips in this little story here in verse 9. It says, and while this is going on, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the Ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua and the people hasted and passed over. So all this is going on. Joshua is also in the middle of the river and what's he doing? He's building his own little personal memorial of 12 stones. And Joshua apparently, he went scuba diving every once in a while, right? Because he writes, it's still there today. I wonder how many times Gilgal, which is where they're going to camp after they cross, Gilgal became kind of Israel's base of operations. They'd go launch an attack, come back to Gilgal. So Joshua's here a lot. And I wonder how many times he said, hey guys, uh, I'm going to go for a swim. What do you mean you're going for a swim? I need to go for a swim. I just need to go for a swim. I wonder if he just kind of wading in there and just getting a glimpse. And when he saw it, he'd be like, okay, I'm good now. (laughs) I'm good now. I don't know exactly why he did it. I mean, I might be making that up, but we don't have any command from God for Joshua to do this. Clearly, Joshua did it out of his own heart. And you know what? I think it's good. 
to have personal memorials for things God's done or for commitments you've made to the Lord. You know, wedding rings are probably one of the most obvious ones, right? We remind ourselves. This doesn't happen very often. Well, it doesn't happen anymore at all. But when I was younger and newly married, every once in a while, I'd be driving and, you know, there'd be a few ladies over to the side of the car next to me and they'd wave. And what would I do? I would go, put the window up. Anyway, you don't need to know all those stories. But it's a reminder. It's a reminder. I wear a bracelet for a reminder of something God did in my life. I, I had a different one that was a little tiny bracelet that we got at a conference, and she got me this, you know, on, a, on an anniversary because it was something that I wore all the time. She wanted to get me something that would last a little bit longer than a little rubber bracelet. I think it's good to have personal memorials for things God's done in your life to remind us when we're in the middle of a new crisis how God got us past a previous one. Now we get down here to verse 11. It says, And so it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. And then it notes here in verse 12 that the children of Gad and of Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they passed over armed before the children of Israel, just like Moses had spoken unto them. About 40,000 equipped for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, just like he promised. And they feared him, the King James says. It means they revered him. They respected him as they respected Moses all the days of his life. So a beautiful wrap up here. We see that the two and a half tribes keep their promise. That was important for later generations because there would come some strife between the nine and a half tribes that were in the promised land and the two and a half that were on the other side. When they settled down afterwards, those stones that were there, these two and a half tribes actually pointed to them and said, remember we went with you over there? We didn't abandon you, so don't treat us like we're outcasts. So it was important to note that they went over at this time. And it's important to note that God did keep his word, that he did magnify Joshua, and they treated him with honor and respect. All the days that Joshua lived, they showed him the same respect that they had showed to Moses. And so this became the event that enabled him to move forward as their leader. God did quite a bit here in these two chapters, didn't he? But what's interesting is the chapter's not over yet. That was just a summary. So verse 15 begins to fill in the details of how it all went down at the end. Verse 15, And the Lord had spoken unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. So Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come you up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up onto the dry land, immediately at that moment that the waters of the Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. Now, you need to understand, this miracle, God stopped it up like 20 miles upstream. For the water to reach that point as soon as they come out of the dry river area means God had to release the water before they left. So now if you're a priest, you know, you might be looking, you're holding the, you know, the ark and you're going, you hear something? <laughs> yeah, sounds like water. What are we supposed to do? Joshua said to stay here. I know Joshua said to stay here. That's what I'd have been saying. But I'm here in water. But the Lord had everything perfectly timed. So that as that water came down, that 20 miles, the moment they got out. That's why I think it's just silly. Oh, an earthquake caused it. Well, then God, he, he really ransacked it so much that the people could move the rocks or they'd get dislodged, you know, at the exact time. I mean, surely God can do that. But I'd just rather believe that God stopped it and God started it again. It's just as easy for me to believe that. I don't need any other explanations. Again, it's impossible for the timing to be just circumstance. And yet, that's not a big deal for God. He's all-powerful. 
Jesus proved this when he spoke and the storm immediately ceased. If God tells you to go over, you're not going under. So all creation will stop until he tells it to move again if necessary. So verse 19, and the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. So interestingly enough, five days before Passover, the same day that God told Israel to prepare to leave Egypt, a very significant day for the nation, guess where they are? They are now in enemy territory. They're now in enemy territory. And this place of Gilgal would become Israel's base of operations for some time as it gave a ready supply of water and a great view of any attacking armies there in the valley. Verse 20, And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spoke unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Well, then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan. You see how wet that place is? Came over this Jordan on dry land, kids. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. So two reasons why God did it this way. He says, number one, that everyone would know that God's hand is powerful, mighty, strong. God wanted everyone who ever lives, including you and me, to know that he's a powerful God. Do you know that? That he's a powerful God? You know, this was meant to bring the Canaanites to repentance. I mean, you're looking over there going, at least harvest season, they can't get over now. And then what happens? All of a sudden, the army's across. Did they build any boats? No. People up at Adam said that the, 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 the river just dried up. What do you mean it just dried up? It just dried up, man. I mean, it's crazy what their God does. It was meant to bring them to repentance. To realize, like Rahab, that you cannot fight the living God. And has God's power had that effect on you? Or are you still fighting God? Because that's a fight you'll never win. But secondly, that Israel, everyone would know that he's powerful, but that Israel might fear the Lord their God forever. The second reason God did this is, God, is that God's people would love what God loves. That's what it means to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, the Bible says. So a God-fearing person is someone who loves what God loves and hates what he hates. That God's people would love what God loves and hate what he hates, unlike the rebellious Canaanites to let God be their leader every step of the way. And that is the lesson for us here as well. To love what God loves, to hate what he hates, to follow his lead to victory. Amen? Let's all stand. Oh, Lord, you are indeed a mighty and powerful God. Faithful, but mighty, Lord. Mighty to save. Lord, mighty to overcome any of our obstacles, Lord. They're nothing to you. Lord, Tonight, we make a choice to follow your lead. Lord, if you're leading us to that river of impossibility, we say, Lord, we come. We will follow you. We're not gonna lag behind in unbelief. We're gonna follow you into that river knowing that you will stop those waves of impossibility from overwhelming us, that we will cross over to the other side and begin to take enemy territory. So God, as we commit to trusting you tonight, that we say we decide to follow your lead, Will you fill us with your spirit, Lord? Will you fight the battles for us? Will you lead us to victory, the victory you won on the cross? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
we should make it a point to remember God's faithfulness in our lives. When He moves on our behalf and works in our lives, it is something worth remembering, especially when life seasons bring us to another problem, another crisis, another storm. We should remember God's continued faithfulness that He is an awesome and mighty God that is with His people. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He is so good and gentle with us. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.